Good morning and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirshner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC. And I am sure grateful that you've decided to worship with us this morning. I pray that today it will be a blessing that we get to gather together and sing praises to the Lord. Celebrate what he's done to bring about our salvation by remembering the cross and looking forward to his return. Reflecting upon what it is we must do. And what, what, what we must do is very simple, as Clay laid out. We must love the Lord our God with all our heads, with all our hearts, and with all our hands. You may hear it worded differently sometimes. You may hear it described as loving the Lord your God with all of your mind. Well, mind and head go very much together. And you may hear it said that we must love the Lord our God with all of our hearts or everything we are, our very soul. And that's true. We must. And we must love the Lord our God with all of our strength. Maybe you've heard it said as all of our obedience, all of our loving obedience with our hands. We love God with our head, our hearts, and our hands. And God, he's got a funny way of describing what must happen sometimes. Jesus oftentimes taught his disciples using parables. And one day in Matthew 13, the disciples came up to Christ and they asked him, Jesus, why do you teach to the people in parables? And Jesus said, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven have been revealed to you, but not to them. Jesus was explaining that a parable, a story that pops with spiritual meaning, sometimes rather than just giving direct exposition of scripture, is a way to communicate God's truth to people in such a way that if they have already hardened their heart to him, they won't be farther pushed away. You see, a parable is a story that has this spiritual meaning that can be gleaned, but not everybody understands it. And so Jesus continued, and he said, I teach in parables so that, because it's true, that though they see, they're never seeing. And though they hear, they're never hearing or understanding. And Jesus made it very, very clear that in the same way that the sun both warms and melts the wax, that same sun warms and hardens the clay. And so it is with the parable. The same parable that can soften the heart and quicken the imagination of the spiritually wise may harden the heart and dull the imagination of the spiritually unwise. And so a parable places the responsibility both squarely and fairly upon the hearer, upon the individual, to find the spiritual meaning. And if you are walking with Christ, this should not be a difficult task. And yet sometimes we find it difficult. Today, we continue our series on modern parables. In the same way that Jesus would sometimes tell what seemed like an innocuous story to someone, we are trying to connect the great parables of the modern world, movies, cinematic masterpieces, with spiritual angles. Lots of people are familiar with the movies that we have discussed so far, and today, as you can tell, we are focusing on The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz was first a book written by um, was first a book written in the 1900s, and then in 1939, a film version of the book was produced, and and Frank Baum's book was turned into a great classical movie, and it is of course the story of a little girl named Dorothy, and Dorothy's a Kansas girl, and she gets swept up in a tornado, and she finds herself in the colorful land of Oz, 
where there are munchkins, and there are wicked witches, and there are good witches, and there's magic of all kinds, and there's deception of all kinds, and there's wickedness of all kinds. And so Dorothy finds herself in this mystical, strange, bizarre land, just longing to get home. And once she gets there, she realizes that her house has fallen upon the Wicked Witch of the East, and her red slippers are taken by Glinda the Good Witch and placed upon Dorothy herself. And the whole story is about Dorothy following the yellow brick road to the city of Oz, where she can try to meet a wizard who will be able to grant her her heart's desire, which is just to go home. She just wants to go home. And along the way, as she travels this yellow brick road, she meets three companions. She meets a scarecrow, and this scarecrow is longing for something. He's longing to have a brain, and he, she meets a tin man who doesn't have a heart. And so he wants one desperately, and they meet a cowardly lion who just wishes he had some courage. And what we recognize is that even though there are so many aspects that we could focus on for spiritual truth being gleaned from the Wizard of Oz, the angle that I want to take today is this. As we walk along the path of Christ-likeness, sometimes we may find it as charming and exciting as a yellow brick road, and sometimes we may find it as saddening and isolating as the red brick road. And if you noticed, in Munchkinland, there were two roads that started in the same place. One goes to Oz, and one goes to the desert of despair. We are told to walk the yellow brick road. And if we think about Christ-likeness as a journey, where we're trying to go and become more Christ-like, it always starts that the way we develop is with our head, our heart, and our hands. Our very first step onto the path towards Christ-likeness involves our heads, our hearts, and our hands. So when we have an entire movie whose main protagonist walks along a particular path and finds the need for characters to grow in head, heart, and hands, we must pay attention. In fact, to give us a little bit of feel about Dorothy and her interaction with our first character, I want you to think about the importance and the need of growing in these areas. You may see some guys around the church wearing lanyards. And on the lanyards, it has their name written in red or in black. And above that, it says, Head, Heart, Hands. Because here at Glendale Christian Church, we understand that in order to make disciples, in order to be father-willed, Christ-compelled, and spirit-led, we know that God values our knowledge, our head. God values our service, our, our, our worship, our hearts. And God values our service, our hands, our loving obedience. So let's look at a clip today that focuses on Dorothy's interaction with her first character who needs some help. Which way do we go? Pardon me. That way is a very nice way. Who said that? <coughs> Don't be silly, Toto. 
Scarecrows don't talk. It's pleasant down that way, too. That's funny. Wasn't he pointing the other way? Of course, people do go both ways. Why, you did say something, didn't you? Are you doing that on purpose? Or can't you make up your mind? That's the trouble. I can't make up my mind. I haven't got a brain. Only straw. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? Yes, I guess you're right. Oh, I'm a failure because I haven't got a brain. Well, what would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. I'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain. With the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another Lincoln if you only had a brain. Won't you take me with you? Why, of course I will. Hooray! We're off to see a wizard. Oh, well, you're not starting out very well. Oh, I'll try. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. And that's the truth. There are some people without a lot of brains in regard to God stuff without the right head knowledge who do an awful lot of talking. And our world is filled with people who don't know God, yet they do an awful lot of talking about him. You've encountered them. You've seen them. They might be your neighbors. They might even be your family members. You might have been one of the many who did an awful lot of talking about God stuff, and yet you didn't have a brain for it. You didn't have a brain for it. One of the things that we have to clear up right off the bat here is that in real life, the human person is a soul that has a body. You are a soul and you have a body. And it is not your brain that does any thinking. It is not your ears that do any hearing, your eyes that do any seeing. It is the soul that thinks using the brain, that hears using the ears, and that sees using the eyes. So when we talk about brain here, don't get confused with materialistic kind of things. It is not the actual physical brain that does the things. For even Scarecrow without a brain was thinking just fine. We saw these sorts of different things. And so it is in the Christian life. The brain is equivalent to the head, the mind, the center of thought within a person. And when it comes to thinking, and when it comes to our heads, when it comes to our minds, there's an awful lot of scripture that encourages us to think the right thoughts. Think about Romans chapter 12, verse 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you want to figure out what God wants, you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of the mind is the very first step towards transformation. 
A person outside of Christ who doesn't have the right brain or head for God stuff takes the first step onto the path towards Christ-likeness by believing the right things. You know how this goes. You go from believing things that are untrue to believing things that are true. And scripture tells us very clearly that one of the primary things we have to believe is that God raised Jesus from the dead. A few chapters earlier, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 10, for it is with your heart you believe and are saved. And in Romans 10, 9, he says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. Belief, having the right head knowledge, is very, very important, and that's always how we're renewed. So whether you've been walking along the path of Christ-likeness for a long time, every time you want to take a significant advancement along the path in Christ-likeness, it always involves your head. It's the renewing of your mind for the transformation, the advancement that we have always starts in the mind. We have to think true things about God. And in a world filled with lies, in a world where people are trying to get us to believe false notions, it's very important that we set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, because it's very easy to get caught up on thinking about things that don't really matter. I mean, how much time do you spend watching TV or listening to the radio or looking through the internet thinking about the news? Probably too much. I know that I do. I think about it an awful lot because these earthly things are curious to me. And I like to think about them. How much time do you think pondering sports? How much time do you invest in your favorite hobby and thinking about that sort of thing? We do an awful lot of thinking about earthly things, but if we set our minds on things above and not just on earthly things, then we will have a greater chance of renewing our mind. In fact, we're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, to be alert and to keep our head. Be alert. Keep your head. Because your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, you don't want this roaring lion to devour you. No, no, no. You want to be alert. You want to be aware. You want to know what's happening, and you want to keep your head. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose our head, but if we lose our head, spiritually speaking, we have completely stepped off the path of Christ-likeness. If you start allowing false beliefs to creep in and you lose your head... You are no longer on the path towards Christ-likeness, for it is always through the renewing of your mind that we develop. We have to grow in our knowledge of God. We have to grow in our knowledge of God. But it's not just our knowledge of God that's important. For the Bible even says in James 2.19, oh, you believe there's one God? Good. So do the demons, yet they shudder. Belief is very important, but belief is not enough. Belief must go from your head to your heart. Now, the tin man knows something about the importance of a heart. Let's look at his interaction with Dorothy. My goodness, I can talk again. Oh, oil my arms, please. Oil my elbows. Oh. Did that hurt? No, it feels wonderful. I've held that axe up for ages. Goodness, how did you ever get like this? Well, about a year ago, I was chopping that tree when suddenly it began to rain. 
And right in the middle of a chop, I, I rusted solid. And I've been that way ever since. Well, uh, you're perfect my, now. My neck. My, my neck. Perfect? Oh, bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. Beautiful. What a nickel. It's empty. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. No, no heart? No heart. All hollow. When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his mettle. And yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and awful sentimental regarding love and art. I'd be friends with the sparrows and the boy who shoots the arrows if I only had a heart. If you don't have a heart, you're what C.S. Lewis described as a man without a chest. Men without chests who are filled with knowledge and yet do not have the heart. If you are filled with the knowledge of God but you don't have a heart for God, you're a man without a chest. And that will merely puff you up and that will not serve you well. For the knowledge that we have must be held beyond just our head. It must be in our heart. For it is in our heart that we trust, that we worship, that we express ourselves effusively, emotionally to God. And if all you have is an intellectual faith, you don't have a genuine faith at all. For the faith that we are called to have involves our head and our heart. It involves our intellect and our emotional center. Intellectual faith. Emotional faith. It's very, very important that we have hearts. Because if our hearts are not tuned towards God, our hearts will inevitably pull us from God. For our hearts, which can be deceptive above all things, show what's truly important. And if our heart is somewhere then that shows what's most important to us. And so, if we always just love God with our minds, but never with our hearts, we're not going to be in the right spot, which is why Jesus himself says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We want to be pure in heart, and this means we want to have our heart entirely tuned towards God. We don't want anything to be diluting its devotion to God. We want to be pure in our heartfelt devotion to God. We want to believe things in our heart, not just in our heads, for it's with your heart you believe and are saved. We want to be pure in our heart, and we don't want our heart to be divided. If your heart is mostly towards God, but there's just a little bit that's not, if it's 90% towards God and 10% that's not, that, that impurity starts to creep and it starts to expand. And just a little bit of yeast gets worked through the dough. It always happens. It always happens this way. 
We have to be fully devoted to God. Now, that doesn't mean we never sin. Of course we sin. But what it means is that we are men and women who have our hearts on what the Spirit wants, not what the flesh wants. In fact, that's why Paul says in Colossians 3.1, to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For if you set your hearts on the right thing, you will walk down the right path. And that's always how it goes. It always goes this way. When you step onto the path of Christ-likeness, you start with the renewing of your mind. And as you first understand that God really did raise Jesus from the dead, Jesus really did die on the cross, and you really do want to live for him, you enter the path towards Christ-likeness. But every single time you want to advance, you grow in your knowledge you're renewing your mind, and you also are loving God with your heart. For you want to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. And if your heart is purely tuned towards God, then the appeal that is made by Christ through his word, his presence, and his people will not fall on deaf ears or dull hearts. Instead, like Paul will say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. If you want to see the heart of a man, look for his motivation. Look for his motivation. For what motivates a man? Is it the desire to please people? Oh, there are some who even peddle a gospel, but they're charlatans and they hide behind curtains, and they send fiery sermons, and they are peddling lies. And all they have to offer is a useless piece of paper, a chintzy little clock, or a medal. But the God we serve is not chintzy, nor is he deceptive. And those who serve him through pure motivational processes understand that he will test our hearts. When I stand on this stage and preach the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to you, God tests my heart. And if my heart is not right, if I'm doing this to try to please men rather than him, I will be judged more harshly than even you listening. My motivation must be pure. And how can you tell a man's motivation? How can you tell a man's motivation? Sometimes it's hard just to tell when you're sitting in the audience. Sometimes it's hard to tell even once you get to know him. But you can figure it out. If you have spiritual discernment, you can tell quickly. But even if you don't have that particular gift, by spending time with people in community, week in, week out, spending life and doing life together, you can tell the motivation of a man. And you can see if my motivational disposition is to try to please man or to try to please God. The appeal I make is, is not one that springs from error or impure motives. No, the purity of my heart is true. Now, the purity of my action doesn't always match up with my heart. None of ours does perfectly. But the purity of my motive is true. And I'm not trying to trick anyone. I want to speak as one approved by God and trusted to share the gospel. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus is beautiful and simple. The perfect God of the universe created everything. And the very best thing he ever created was us, humankind, because we were made in his image. And that means we were equipped with the ability to think and to love and to act. And because we are equipped with the ability to think and to love and to act, we have freedom. But we use that freedom poorly. 
And rather than stay on the straight and narrow, we stepped off the path that God had for us, and we were separated. We were separated from God. And no matter how hard we worked, we couldn't get back to him. No matter how hard we tried, we can never get back to God. But the story of the Bible is the story of God pulling us back to himself. First he walked with us, and then he talked with us, and then he burned with us, and then he was carried by us, and then he walked with us in flesh once more. But now the God of the universe indwells the believer. For if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ stepped off the throne of heaven as the second person of the Trinity, lived a perfect and sinless life to make up for your fall, for your sin, and did so by dying on the cross, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you're saved. And when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you follow through with believer's baptism and repentance and you live for him, the Holy Spirit who indwells you empowers you so that you can walk this path of Christ-likeness. This is the gospel we preach. This is the gospel we teach. And the world hates us for it. The world hates us for it. And sometimes we don't understand why the world would hate us for it. For we're not trying to convert people at the edge of a sword. We're not trying to force anyone to live any way other than the way they choose to live. And yet when you choose to follow Jesus Christ as Lord, when you place your faith in him, meaning you believe in him in your heart, it says you are going to live for him. And when you are willing to take the steps for God, not everybody likes that. In fact, some people like to just tell the world that they have the true belief and the true heartfelt trust, but it's hard to trust. And so what they do instead is roar, well, like a cowardly lion. Do you know anybody who puts on a big show but never knows how to back it up? Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Scared, huh? Afraid, huh? <laughs> How long can you stay fresh in that can? <laughs> Come on, get up and fight, you shivering junkyard. Put your hands up, you lopsided bag of hay. Now, that's getting personal, Lion. Yes, get up and teach him a lesson. Well, what's wrong with you teaching him? Uh, well, well, I hardly know him. <laughs> well, I'll get you anyway, Pee-wee. <laughs> Shame on you. Look, what did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried to. It's bad enough picking on a straw man, but when you go around picking on poor little dogs. Well, you didn't have to go and hit me, did you? 
Is my nose bleeding? Oh. Well, of course not. <laughs> my goodness, what a fuss you're making. <laughs> well, naturally, when you go around picking on things weaker than you are, why, you're nothing but a great big coward. You're right. I am a coward. Well, come on. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, Missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine vibe. But I could show my prowess, be a lion, not a mouse, if I only had the nerve. I'm afraid there's no denying, I'm just a dandelion, a fate I don't deserve. I'd be brave as a blizzard. I'd be gentle as a lizard. I'd be clever as a gizzard. If the wizard is a wizard who will serve, then I'm sure to get a brave. A heart, a home, the knife. Oh, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. And here he is, the wizard, the wizard, if ever a wizard there was. If ever, oh, ever a wizard there was, the wizard of Oz was one because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. You've met that kind of guy before, right? The one who's got a big game, who says a whole lot of stuff, but as soon as the going gets tough and a little girl smacks him on the nose, spiritually speaking, oh, what'd you do that for? And they back down immediately. And Jesus, he, he told parables about this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is kind of like a guy scattering seed. Well, some of that seed falls on the path and it gets snatched up by the birds of the air. Some falls on the rocky soil and springs up quickly, but... Some falls among the thorns, and some falls on the good soil. And when he was explaining that parable, and that's the only parable he ever actually explained, he said that some people who have the shallow soil accept the word of God with great joy, but when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. There are some people who think they've got it in their head and think they've got it in their heart, but they don't have any hands. They don't follow it up with any action. But the Bible tells us very, very clearly that faith without works is dead. You've got to do something. You can't just say something. You can't just think something. You can't just trust something. You have to do something. And let us no longer be cowardly lions who preach a great sermon and back down as soon as there's push, who live a great life as soon as someone makes it tough, and then cowardice takes over. We're not called to be cowardly. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, we're called to be on our guard, to stand firm, to be courageous, to be strong. And the Bible tells us in Luke eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So when you hear the word of God and obey it, it's something very, very special that happens. In John 14, 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with them. And so it is that if you claim to love God, if you believe in God and you love God with all your heart, you will obey him. There will be action that follows up. For if you claim to love God, but do not do anything about it, you're a liar. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Jesus said just a few verses earlier in John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
If you love God, you will follow through in action. And if there is no action attendant to your claim, then your claim is fallacious. God doesn't make his home with you. You back down at the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of persecution. And there are many, many cowardly Christians out there who think they know lots about God and who claim to trust him deeply with everything there are, they are, and yet they don't seem to obey him. And I don't quite understand that because the Bible encourages us. It says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. If you make a disciple, you are making someone who believes in the triune God with all their heart, the gospel message, and that has loving, obedient action and holiness in their lifestyle. Disciples are not merely those who make big claims. They are those who follow through with these big claims. Do you understand that the Bible is connecting all three of these? Notice how it works. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but you don't just believe in your head, you also believe in your heart. And you have to have a pure heart with pure motives, but it's not just the purity of your love, for if you love, you will obey. And when you obey, you demonstrate Christ-likeness and holiness. None of these are separate, none of these are independent, and you can't focus on just one without the other. They always go together. Head, heart, hands always go together, just like the scarecrow, the tin man, and the lion go with Dorothy on the yellow brick road. They're always thought of together. They always go together because they are always how we advance. When you believe true things and trust God and follow through with believer's baptism, you step onto the path towards Christ-likeness. And when you grow and you learn and you move beyond elementary teachings, you advance in Christ-likeness. And when you can trust God, even in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, you take another step down Christ-likeness. And when you can follow through and you can live your life with holiness, even in the face of worldly temptation, you advance in Christ-likeness more and more. Every single one of you who's been on the path of Christ-likeness for a long time know this certainty. If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to develop, if you want to advance, if you want to love God more, if you want to be more his disciple, the path for transformation is always the same. It's head, heart, and hands. There is no secret to Christianity. There is no deception to Christianity. If you want to be more like Christ, think more about Christ. Study him more deeply. Learn more about him. Put your heart and your mind towards things that matter, not things that are superfluous and temporary. If you're unpleased with how your trust is, you must grow in your worship and trusting of God. We live in a world where we're told to trust the government. We're told to trust our bank account. We're told to trust our bodies. We're told to trust in God. All of these things will fail. Your body will die. The bank will collapse. The government will burn. Whether now or on Christ's return, this place will not last forever. But that's okay because we're just passing through on our way home. Now, we're here now, and so we'll do the best we can to take care of our little strip of the yellow brick road as best we can. But this is not our home. We want to go home. 
And every time we need to grow in Christ-likeness, it is a matter of obedience. It is a matter of holiness. We live in a world where people don't care about holiness. We live in a world where that which is sinful is prized and celebrated by the world around us, taught in the schools that educate our children, celebrated on television and in movies, everywhere all the time. And even if there hasn't been wickedness thrown in, years later, people will evaluate and try to shoehorn more wickedness in. Oh, actually, that character that never had anything about it, he was actually this way. And we try to do this to insert wickedness. As Christians, we have an obligation to insert holiness. But holiness is a sorely forgotten topic in the church among the family of God. Because the world in which we live, holiness is not prized, celebrated, or exalted. In fact, quite the opposite. Oh, you old fuddy-duddy. It's like your favorite movie is from 1939 or something. Get with the times. You've got to have movies with guns and cars and explosions and all kinds of sexual immorality and all kinds of gender bending and all kinds of falsehood and lies. Come on. No. No, you know what? I want to stick to the truth. Well, the world doesn't love that. But I'm here to tell you that they all go together. They all go together, I promise you. In fact... They all go together so well that I wrote this sermon three different times. I wrote this sermon three different times, and you're only getting one of my three versions, and you're about to get the First Peter 1 version of this sermon. For there were many different texts that I selected and went through that highlight the interconnected beauty of head, heart, hands. Because what I did at first was to show you how there were certain Bible passages that highlight the importance of our mind, of loving God with all our mind, knowing God with our head. But I also highlighted some of the Bible passages that talk about loving God with all of our heart and how we must have the right trust. But then we also highlighted some passages that talk about the obedience. And only a little bit was there the connection. You believe in your heart, and if you love God with your heart, you will obey him, for that's what Jesus Christ says. I wanted to find some passages that had all three together, and I ran out of time. There were so many. And so I picked the very shortest one. First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16 says these words. Gird up the loins of your minds. Keep your heads. Set your trusting hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he called you as holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now this passage talks about all three. Did you catch it? Sure you did. The people of God are called to have the right heads. Gird up the loins of your minds. Wait, this is a weird phrase. Not everybody knows what that means. Here's how you gird up the loins. Um, so in ancient times, the Hebrew men would wear these long robes, and it was hard to do hard work or to go fight because they didn't have short pants or pants like we have today, and so they had these tunic kind of things. So here's how you would gird up the loins. You would gather all the fabric above your knees. You would pull it forward, swing it back around, tie it around your legs so you had a makeshift pair of shorts so you could go to battle or plow. That's how it worked. Gird up the loins. So when it says to gird up the loins of our minds, it's basically saying, man up your minds. Man up. Come on now. Man up, Christian. It's time. Gird up the loins of your minds. And that is literally the Greek there. You look up the Greek, it is gird up the loins of your mind. It's a beautiful phrase, only used once in scripture, had to work it in, and that's what we have to do. Man up the mind. 
No, no more childlike mind stuff. No more sitting on the sideline. Man up your minds. Keep your heads. Don't lose your head. Keep your heads in all situations. And you are no longer ignorant. For you used to live in ignorance when you didn't know the truth and you didn't trust him and you didn't live for him, but that ignorance no longer defines you because you are a person of God now. You are not a person of this world. The head, but it's also the heart. Did you catch the heart stuff? Set your trusting hope on grace. Set your trusting hope on grace that will be revealed when Christ appears. Your trusting hope is grace, or in grace is using your heart, for you trust, you love. That's what love is. That's what trust is. That's how you love God with your heart. You trust him, even though it might not have happened yet, even though it might not be revealed until later, you still trust, and you set your trusting hope on the grace. And then there's the follow through the hands. Live obediently. Don't give in to those evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Notice how living in ignorance leads to not trusting the right thing, which leads to not living the right way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and live obediently. Don't give in to those evil desires. Instead, be holy. Be holy. Now, this is just one passage that mentions all the head, heart, and hands. There are three that I would like for you to look at this week. Here's the challenge for this week. This is what I want you to do. Here's the action step, the follow through. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter four, verses 17 through 24. I want you to look at Colossians chapter three, verses one through 17. And I want you to look at 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, the passage that I just read. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do five things with them. Number one, I want you to read the passage daily. Read it daily. Number two, I want you to write out the passage once. I want you to handwrite it or I want you to type it. I want you to put the word of God onto paper or onto digital form using your mind, your hands, your body. Write it out. For if you write out the scripture once, that's like reading it seven times. And so I want you to read it every single day, but I want you to write it out at least once this week. Just write it down, write it down. It might take a while, but type it out, write it down, do something where you have to think it, see it, and translate it through your body onto paper or onto your screen. That's what I want you to do. Read it every day, type it or write it once. Third, I want you to notice all the references to head, heart, and hands. Now, I picked these passages on purpose because they're replete with all three, and they're connected and beautiful. And what I want you to do is find the connection. I want you to notice them. I want you to see how head is talked about, heart is talked about, hands are talked about, and how they are linked together. And then I want you to meditate on this passage regularly. If you pick one of the three, that's okay. If you do all three, that's great. But I want you to have at least one of these passages. Pick all three if you have time. And I want you to meditate on this passage or these passages regularly. And lastly, I want you to pray through this passage regularly. When you pray, I want you to pray saying the words of God back to God. And then I want you to pray applicatively in your life. God, please help me to apply this in my life. And I want you to think about the truth of head, heart, and hands and how God is calling you to be transformed by renewing your mind, advancing your trust, and following through with loving obedience. Head, heart, hands. And if you are willing to do that with one or two or even all three of these passages, this week you will be able to see how you can advance in Christ-likeness. 
Now, today, I want to wrap things up. Hey, Adventure Possible family and with Glendale family, Andrew Kirshner, lead that explains here, perfectly head heart executive hands. minister Clay O'Dell and one of our awesome elders, Tony Cox. And we are privileged to get to witness the baptism today here at Bull Shoals Lake of John Rooster Tinsley. Let me turn it over to Tony. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, welcome. It's a great day when another uh, believer can be baptized and uh, follow the example that our Lord and Savior uh, set for us all to follow. So I'll start by asking you, John, are you ready to repeat the good confession with me? Yes. All right. So I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And uh, I want to dedicate my life and surrender my life to him and let him be my Savior. You guys say a lot, don't you? Yep. All right. I want to dedicate my life. Surrender my life. Surrender my life. And he be my Savior. And he be my Savior. Have you asked him to become your personal Lord and Savior? I have. All right. Well, based on your confession of faith, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the Holy Spirit. Another brother added to the family. All right, everybody, uh, give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Clap, clap. Woo! Thank you, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Do you see what John just did there? John believed the truth, trusted in his heart, and followed through with loving obedience, and is on the path of Christ-likeness. John's standing right over there, sitting right over there. And he's going to come forward here in just a minute, and you guys are going to get the chance to meet him. And as we wrap up today, I wonder if there's anyone else who needs to enter the path towards Christ-likeness and accept Jesus as Lord. I wonder if there's anyone else who says, you know what? I need to advance and walk down this path of Christ-likeness. It's simple. You work on the renewing of your mind, the loving of God with your heart, and following through in loving obedience, for this is always how we advance in Christ-likeness. And I wonder if there's anybody here who needs to join the church today. It's a good day 